0: My
1: official Rambler rating is a zero out of (laughs) ten. I spit. I actually spit. I'm I'm holding my word. I warned Pierce Brown in my Dark Age review that if I didn't get at least a single Volga chapter, the next book is a zero out of ten. I didn't get a Volga chapter. Zero out of (laughs) ten. No. Unacceptable.
2: Unacceptable. I warned him. I said, no Volga chapter. Zero <laughs> out of ten. The audacity for him not to listen to you after the book was published.
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da,
2: da. to another tutor ramble episode i'm one of your hosts austin and i'm the better one richard uh, well guess what i'll let you get away with that rich because we're doing my thing today we are i'm being very kind i'm <laughs>
1: letting him do a red rising book review
2: book six of red rising we have been on a journey together how when did we start reading red rising Ooh, the series? this summer sometime this summer was it i don't know But it has been, this is book six, and there's no other book out until Red God. Red God will be the last book of the Red Rising saga. When's the estimate for when that's released? He said soon. Pierce Brown said soon. What does that mean? I don't know. But with Lightbringer, we will be talking spoiler-free for the first five to ten minutes up to Mm -hmm. Dark Age. There will be spoilers. We'll be spoiler-free for a bit. Then we're going to get into all this talk, because this has been highly anticipated from the ramblers out there. (laughs) You hate I, you hate that I, we're naming the fans ramblers. I do hate it. Ugh. It is cringy. What should we just name? like <laughs> democracy?
1: Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I'm gonna squeeze that in any chance. Every time,
2: because you got to sell the merch that comes out in like a month, right? Eventually, yep. Whenever that comes out, I got to got to sell my thing. <laughs> so this this book has had a lot of hype. Yep, people are saying Lightbringer, the best of the Red Rising saga, book six, had a lot. Of this it took what. Dark Age came out in 2019. Lightbringer came out just this year. So four-year pause. For, for Pierce Brown, what he did with Red Rising, Golden Sun Morning again, they were much shorter books, but he published one after the other after the other. And then this one took the longest bit. And you and I saw Pierce Brown in person when mm. he was doing the whole publicity and PR for, for I got this book signed. Yeah, it, it's signed, isn't it? It's cool? signed book. It's and great. Admit, Pierce Brown's awesome. Oh, he's great. He's such a good guy. Oh, love the guy. Oh. You know, we, we talked with his team to have him on the pod, and they did respond, but it was like a an email chain, and then it kind of got lost, and they forgot about us. I reminded them about us. And, I, I do want to apologize. That's probably on me. They probably looked at our videos and went,
1: eh, maybe not. Maybe not
2: this one. They looked at the Red Rising <laughs> review, and that was the reason. <laughs> I wouldn't blame him, honestly. Yeah, fair enough. But he's oh, so, so well-spoken. Such a great dude, and... It got me even more excited in person hearing him during the Q&A talk mm-hmm. about Lightbringer and just go like, what he what he went through to write this book. It was a daunting task where he said he basically wrote two of these books before this final version, wrote a book, scrapped it, wrote a book, scrapped it, and then came out with this one. It was that difficult to write. I kind of get it. <sighs> the, the, there's a lot of setup between... Iron Gold and
1: Dark Age, that things were set up, and I imagine it's really hard to put that all together for this book. And we're going to talk about, I think there's from this book, and I'm just speculating here, Mm -hmm. that there were some choices that he made in Iron Gold that he regrets. And that this book, for me, is more like confirmation that he regrets a couple actions and is trying to correct it going I would forward.
2: say even in Dark Age, there's some decisions he made. True, you there continue. is. Yeah.
1: But I think not only Iron Gold, mm-hmm. but also in Dark Age, there's a little thing that he sets up, and then it feels like it's abandoned in this book. And he's like, he didn't like
2: that direction, and he wants to take it a new direction. And so I'm... Which we'll get all to into, into yeah. that in spoilers. Staying spoiler-free briefly on where we left off in Dark Age. Mm-hmm. Dark Age left us with Darrow lost. He at lost, lost the Battle of Mercury, about his lowest. And I noticed a pattern with Pierce Brown's books, at least the first trilogy. And mm-hmm. then you could consider before The Red God comes out, Iron Gold, Dark Age, Morningstar, sorry, Iron Gold, Dark Age, and Lightbringer being a next trilogy. Mm-hmm. It will be, a, what's a quadrilogy after that? A quad quintuple qu- quint. quint, isn't it? A quint, yeah, a quint. A quintuple? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in this sequel trilogy, if you noticed, you start with Red Rising, and the second sequel series started with Iron Gold. The next book in them, so Golden Sun and Dark Age, both ended in your bad guys, empire strikes back, the bad guys win at the end. So where Darrow loses to Lysander in Dark Age, where Darrow end of Golden Sun loses to the assassination of Ares, of of Fitchner slash Ares, of Lorne, of uh, Victra, almost dies. Of, the imprisonment. <coughs> the imprisonment. So you have that moment. So I'm noticing that pattern where he likes to end his second book on a everything's over. And then yeah. one of the critiques that Patrick Leo had, Patrick, amazing booktuber, um, he one of the critiques he had of Dark Age, which we love Dark Age, mm-hmm. was that it was so dark that what it did was take away the ability that it took away one of Pierce Brown's really big advantages in writing, which is to make dark moments, but also have that glimmer of hope. Yeah, yeah, that that's fair. Well, I I don't I'll be
1: honest, it carried into Lightbringer for me. Of mm. things are just so dark and heavy that I really don't like the the supposedly hopeful moments just makes me think, "Eh, nah, I I just don't believe in the hope. Like anytime a character like finds a way to find hope, I'm just like,
2: nah, you're stupid for believing that this is all going to end terribly. (laughs) Well, that's why it's so relatable for you, because when you read a book like Dark Age, it's almost representative of your life. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> you read that and went, This is, this is nonfiction. I don't like it. I don't like it. Every
1: route leads to the bad
2: end. I don't <laughs> like that. So we, we're leaving off now. Going into Lightbringer, spoiler free, we start, it's an eight month jump into Lightbringer from from where Darrow was left off. In the very beginning of the book, we see that he's on these outskirts of the it's described really well. Could you do you remember the name? But basically things were shot out the, toward the sun. They're on the outskirts of the Kuiper belt. Kuiper Belt, okay yes. And he's on one of these asteroids and you're you're starting off with Darrow at a very, very low here. Well, in a in an odd way. He's in a low
1: point, but normally his lows are physical and he refuses to change or believe like there's a there's a stubbornness to him and yeah. the start of this book he is broken beyond but there's a some there's something else in there of like man everything I've done is like led poorly I'm finally willing to change which is interesting for Darrow. Mm-hmm. he finally realizes oh, I'm gonna need to take a step back in my own uh, mental approach to things right which I don't know if that's particularly low. That's almost like a step above. Like he's already taken the first step of Mm. accepting he needs to change.
2: Let's say this. The circumstances are dire. And he's not in a good strategic position. So his character arc and everything that goes forward there is different. But he is not in a good spot to win. No. No, he's not. (laughs) It's not looking good for Darrow. Again, very relatable for you, Richard. Things yep. things could look better, and that's so. We're starting off Lightbringer with this. Well, where, where are you going with this, Pierce Brown? And again, mm-hmm. Pierce Brown maybe didn't even know where he was going with this. In so the fact they had to scrap it two times, yeah. And here's the interesting. Here's the thing uh, that's so great about Pierce Brown and his style of writing. There's flaws to it as well, but the great thing is you don't run into the thing you do with Patrick Ruffles and George R. R. Martin, who. Yes, they they plan out a lot of things. I don't know their exact writing process, but I do know they will be so perfectionist with things. And there's something that's holding them back from finishing that next book that's taken over a decade. Whereas Pierce Brown, he might redo it in scrap, but he has this writing style where he's going to get the book done. And maybe perfect's the wrong word. Like he, he is striving for it to be great, but he's he's not a stickler on... This was published. Did you get what I mean? Of His I, mentality I, his mentality on writing
1: yeah. is like Darrow's mentality that he learns at the end of this book.
2: Mm, don't, don't spoil, I'm yeah. not spoiling anything, uh, okay. but you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Uh-huh. I know what you mean. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, 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 I just mean that he, he definitely wrote this a couple times and figured out a lot of the right direction to go, but he also wasn't too stubborn about it. No, he was willing to change. He was willing to not be stuck
1: to the past of his books yes. and willing to just drop some stuff, change some th- new things. Exactly. That make it go in a better direction.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I'm trying not, not to be too spoiled. There are things, you're, you're beating around the bush perfectly. That's the perfect way to say it. Mm-hmm. So let's get into our spoiler-free rating okay. of the book. So Richard, you want, want me to go first? What'd you give Lightbringer out of 10? Now before, 10. You give, before you say this, mm-hmm. Chip, shout out to you on the Patreon, gave this a 10 out of 10. A lot of our patrons, a lot of our viewers were saying, best book of Red Rising, best book of the year, Lightbringers, amazing. And people on our Patreon, by the way, uh, Rich, you want to do a quick plug? Oh, yeah. yeah. We have a Patreon. If you want to join us for a book club,
1: it's a lot of fun once a month. And actually, it's starting to turn out more than once a month, actually. But we do a book club with you guys, discuss a book for like four hours. It's a great time for the month of December. We're doing Empire of Silence, the first book of the Sun Eater trilo- saga, saga, trilogy. Saga. Saga, saga, saga. There's a lot going, more books yeah, in it. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. Join our exclusive Discord, chat with the, the community. It's all good fun. We're
2: actually having a Red Rising discussion sometime next month in January as well. Just about Are the we? whole. Yeah, about the first trilogy of oh. people who have read it. So why not, right? Good. So I'm just saying this to hype up the fact that this book mm-hmm. is like. People are floored. Yeah. Floored. Everybody clicking this video watching is going, I can't wait for Richard and Austin to talk about this. Yeah. Richard, what's your what's your rating? My official
1: Rambler rating is a zero out <laughs> of ten. <laughs> I spit.
2: I actually spit. <laughs> I, I'm...
1: I'm holding my word. I warned Pierce Brown in my Dark Age review that if I didn't get at least a single Volga chapter, the next book is a zero out of ten. I didn't get a Volga chapter. Zero out of ten. <laughs> no. Unacceptable. <laughs> unacceptable.
2: I warned him. I said no Volga <laughs> chapter. Zero out of ten. The audacity for him not to listen to you after the book was published. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the
1: audac- why couldn't he just email me a quick little chapter
2: that I could stick inside my book? <laughs> what's your what's your actual rating? I want that
1: to be the official
2: one. Oh, that's the official. Let's put right below that zero your unofficial one. The unofficial one as a 7.05 out of 10. (laughs) Just a milquetoast seven. (laughs) A milquetoast
1: seven. You're here. You're chilling. I'm chilling. I got positive things to say. That's great. I'm I'm feeling good. I'm honestly not negative in this book at all. I'm just not like over the moon. I yeah. like di- Dark Age more, but this is certainly way better than Iron Gold. So oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't know. Rich, I'm, gonna um, be, I'm gonna be positive, Richard, today, except oh, for oh, Volga. every time Volga comes up, I'm gonna be a little upsetty spaghetti.
2: Mm, you don't like upsetty spaghetti? No, no, no. Oh, that should be another T-shirt: upsetty spaghetti. I feel like that's trademarked somewhere.
1: Yeah, I'm not the original person that made up...
2: No, but that. we can take it for our own. Uh, that's what I we're do doing. Like what do you that. think our whole channel is again? Come on. Uh, it's just A taking great monarchy.
1: They, people don't have rights. No. People don't have property rights. We can take it. I mean, it's, it's domain.
2: Ours. <laughs> actually, so they're building a sidewalk outside of our house. I don't like it. I'm not a fan. Also, it's not our house. We rent this house. We don't own anything. This, it, oh, it, God. It interrupts my style. <laughs> <laughs> my style, as you wear like a new... This is actually... The least dressed up you've been for a podcast episode. You don't care about Red Rising reviews. When you, I when do we, normally when try to dress time, up. Wheel of Time, you got button up. You're like, sup guys. I got to look up. guys? Get, this was guys. my t shirt. <laughs> yeah. So you're a seven. You're 7.05. 7.05. Really, really a zero, but yeah. really a zero. 7. But 05. what is yours? Now, everyone who loved the book so much came here because they know I'm the Red Rising stand. You are. I'm, I'm the Red
1: expecting stan. 11 like
2: out of 10. A nine, a, a, a 20, yeah. right? My Rambler rating is. Mm-hmm shocking because i very much agree with you in some senses i give it a 7.75 what (laughs) how i think but you're the red rising stand no 7.75 yes here's what
1: i'm
2: here's my thoughts of the book now hey listen keep listening on to for the full thoughts we're gonna get into spoilers right after this but spoiler free this is a real good book i've really enjoyed my time Mm. like seriously good book good book not without its flaws. I think there's some some things that we, we'll have a good discussion with. And people that really were floored by this book that gave it 10 out of 10, hear us out maybe. <laughs> hear us out. Because I'm going to give accolades and praises where I think Pierce just does an amazing job. Mm-hmm. But I am I think we're going to agree on a lot of points it for this book. It sounds like it. Uh, but I, I uh, with saying that, uh, there are two books I could not be more excited for in my life. And mm-hmm. it is Red God for this seventh book. I, I can't wait. Yeah. I, I just, I want it now. I want it right now. And Stormlight Book 5. Those two books are the ones that I will, I will, I will not consider taking unnecessary risks with my physical health for the weighting of these two books. That's why. You understand 2024 is going to be a banger year. Oh. To a banger oh, year for books. Let's hope Red God comes out in 2024. We're going, we so. got to go to Sanderson's, uh, his convention. We are. We have to. We have to. Last thing before we get into the spoiler section. How would you rank the books, the six books from mm. best to worst? Now that we know your, what our ratings are, what would you say is the best? What would you say is second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth for light, uh, for Red Rising? Well, according to my Rambler rating of course, system. which is correct. Th- which is correct.
1: Yeah. I actually have um oh shoot. So I have Golden Sun yeah is number 1 at 8.2. I have then a Dark Age at 8.15 at a 10, so close. So close. Then I have Morning Star at a 7.7. Then now I have then I have Lightbringer a 7.05, then Red Rising at a
2: 6.55. And lastly, Iron Gold at 5.35. Interesting. We we have close. I have Golden Sun, then Red Rising, Dark Age, Lightbringer, Morningstar, Iron Gold. That's my first last. We agree on our the first. We agree on the last. There's some differences in the middle. Mm-hmm. And maybe upon looking at the whole series now, those will change. Maybe the order will change with us after yeah. we think about it more. But that's the initial rankings that we have. Mm-hmm. And I want to show you one last thing, okay? Okay. Teasing once more to go into the spoiler section. I want you to watch this, this little snippet from our roommate Justin and his thoughts on Lightbringer, okay? Here we go. Okay. Hey, roommate Justin, what would you think of Lightbringer? Lightbringer uh, is a great book. You know, I really love the characters. I loved how he, uh, you know, made all the adventures happen in this one. Not as good as Golden Sun. Uh, not, not nearly as good as Golden Sun, but really a great book. Great book. He looks so nervous. He was nervous. He was so nervous. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's a little camera shy. No, it wasn't just that. I was like, hey, Justin. Right before, right before I record this, just make it look like I'm holding you hostage. You have to say "Golden Suns" better. (laughs) That was the stick. Does he like Golden Sun more? He does. Yeah, that's his favorite as well. He also really liked Lightbringer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Spoiler warning. Are you ready to get into spoilers, Rich? Yeah. Spoilers for Lightbringer. Starting off, first category. Emotional impact? Would you give it out of ten? I gave it a seven. It's flat seven. Flat seven. I, I could get, be yeah. convinced to lower it just a
1: smidge. Lower it. Okay, I gave it yeah. seven point
2: seven five. Okay. so I think you're about right with that. I, I
1: I feel like I'm about right. I it's it'll be interesting. I, it'll be coming through the discussion. Yes. I was not into the story for a while. Oh. It took me at least two hundred ish pages till I started getting into the story
2: okay. for me. Which affects how you know, just and, emotions. Yeah. yeah, but while I was into
1: it, I enjoyed it, but I could very easily put it down and like start other
2: things. Okay, because when we're talking emotions, obviously, one, what's it intending to make you feel? What, what's yeah. the intended emotion? And a lot of this book was focused on war, mm-hmm. but also friendship and the hope behind that. But th- it's very centered around the politicking and... The plot twists galore, so it felt like a very epic. What do you call it? Space opera, with interweavings of why the small things, like character focused on friendship and redemption and these kind of themes. So, did those themes hit or miss? Yeah. Were Were you looking for the book overall?
1: So, some of the themes that this book was trying to show, mate, focusing on Darrow, yeah, is Darrow was going through much more of a stoic journey. That he's normally used to delving into his emotions and using that as fuel and just kind of running his head into a wall to break it down. Now he's realizing that, hey, emotions are a part of life, but you can't be controlled by it. You need to make a logical decision, like accept these feelings, but then act upon logic. He's taking a little calmer route, which is good. So, Stoic Life, um, also a big part of the last book, Dark Age, and then also this book, is the difference of fighting for life and valuing life itself rather than just winning. And so that happens several times. Choices where like maybe you could win, but it would sacrifice so many more lives. It's not worth
2: it. And that themes with not just Darrow, but Virginia in the battles well, like so yeah. many every character has to deal with this. And your villains take it one way, your heroes well, take it another. Here's the
1: thing is Darrow and the good side are valuing lives today, are more important than hypothetically prosperous, healthy lives in the future that don't even exist yet. Where society and Lysander are constantly justifying everything they do with, oh yeah, I may kill a billion people today, but like I, the society that I set up will be uh, saving billions in the future. And it's like...
2: It's the whole utilitarian, a, it's yeah. the utilitarian perspective that ends justify the means.
1: Well, and the big one the, is utopia versus mm-hmm. reality. And utopian idealism is justifies literally anything because it's the utopia is the ultimate good, meaning you can kill billions and that works out in the scales. Because, and where in Darrow the, in the doesn't end,
2: believe it. in the end that so, but even Darrow has had his faults throughout the books of rumor we destroyed the rim? Mm-hmm. So it's not our heroes also aren't blameless. No. Far from blameless, Darrow's far from blameless, but there's he's more of the hero. Just like Cassius from Darrow's perspective in Golden Sun, when he's fighting him in the gala scene, he says to about Cassius, he might not be, he might not be the villain, but he's my villain or my antagonist, whatever mm-hmm. word he used there. Which is a lot of the case because we're getting Darrow's point of view. Sure, uh, because that. We have more of a connection with Daryl. He's done a lot of atrocities, yet his he is less he's less blameless than someone like Lysander is. He's less than Atlantia because they will go beyond all doubt, beyond all repercussions. They will do no matter what. Here, here's the where, big thing yeah.
1: between Atlantia is like evil, evil mm-hmm. because she's doing it out. Her reasoning for doing awful things is also awful. Where at least Lysander is self delusional in his uh, atrocities. Like he truly does believe he's doing it for a noble cause. And his cause is more noble than Atalantia where she's doing kind of out of pettiness and out of just pure atlantia's
2: is a self selfishness and Lysander's convinced himself that he's selfless.
1: Yeah. Which is not the case. <laughs> exactly. It's self delusional, but yeah. that, which makes it
2: fascinating.
1: There is a difference though. Yeah. Like yes, on a slight gradient scale, he's better than Atalantia. However, it's not that much of a difference. Well,
2: wait, when we get more into characters, because th- this emotional part of it—the the message that this book was giving—and we're beating around all these themes. Here's the: I'm going to break this down. There's a lot of things in here. There's, mm-hmm. you could take different aspects from each character arc, whatever, and say there's this. But I took three different points of view that this book is trying to get across. Okay. There is the Lysander point of view of being the shepherd, being the shepherd of the lower colors and protecting them, kind of like Diomedes thinks as well, which we'll get more into his character, but he takes it a different way, of course, but we must be the shepherd for these lower colors. It's for their better, good. I will do bad things now because it's for this utopian society. You have Darrow's point of view for the Republic and the revolution that he started to begin with that, hey, it's the ends don't justify the means of what they're doing to us, so the whole conflict between those two. And then you have the third option, the right option, the option from Quicksilver, who essentially takes the Richard philosophy and says, "It's all the, done." He says, "Democracy is cringe. I'm yeeting out of here. Goodbye." With
1: okay. Quicksilver just yeeted out, I was like, that, that's, yeah, that's, "That's the correct that's option. That's the solution." That is like, <laughs> I'll be honest. This he, whole he says, he "The says whole the, color system is just awful." All of it's—it's it's never gonna work. I have no hope for it at all. Up did, with Quicksilver! Did you on see this.
2: what that mob did on the day d- of Red Doves? Oh. I'm out. <laughs> I'm taking Mateo and I'm taking my capitalism and I'm going there. It's just that's it. Oh, and
1: also the—the the best thing you know is like, yeah, no, none of the like—they're all just human. No more like no more color system they're just human beings and we're going to go have our own society somewhere else away from all of you yeah correct correct option quicksilver you did the right thing
2: so we're left now with Darrow and Lysander to pick up these pieces of what you know what, what actually do with you the know world. it's a great setup for yeah. what's that
1: that the last book just ends with uh the like Darrow and Lysander just choosing you know what? This whole thing's a wash, and just using the <laughs> the chemical weapon on all the colors—not oh. <laughs> gold or red, just all the colors. Like, but wipe it all out. We're oh. gonna trust Quicksilver Society to carry. And the very
2: for last chapter is an epilogue with Quicksilver yeah. and all the people prospering. They send a, it. so all Darrow sends a letter out there, yeah. just going like, "Hey, uh, we everything's just, done. You're Everyone's comple- dead. You're completely right.
1: Yeah, uh, we just decided to kill all of us. Like that's now. Like, you guys are the last humans
2: out there." Good luck. And Quicksilver looks down at this prosperous society with billions of people. So yeah, just like yep, yep, they have their they have their strife, mm-hmm. but not billions
1: dead in just constant no. hierarchical. They, they deal fighting. with normal things like taxes. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's oh it. darn, my taxes are a little too high this year. Oh, oh man, we have some crime and like. You know, man, sometimes the police are really too harsh in certain areas. But you know you what? You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna pour some tea in Boston. That's what I'm uh, gonna do. Like, are we making fun of our own?
2: No, just <laughs> at
1: you, Our actual history yeah. pales in comparison to the whole Red Rice. It is. It's a brutal world. It's way yeah. worse. Yeah,
2: yeah. But I'm agree with you. We'll, Quicksilver was so, right. So that's the three different perspectives we're kind of getting, and obviously that all it all dives into the themes of this book, which are war and the cost of human lives and what what is worth it. Do the ends justify the means? And all these things are beat around. But we want to get into character so we could talk more specifically about yeah. where all these arcs went. And so forth. I,
1: I did want to. Oh, one last thing. I, Go ahead. One last thing yeah, with yeah. its intended emotion. For me, the amount of death and suffering and yeah. constant betrayals got me feeling a a little bit numb to everything. So when something terrible happens, I didn't I don't think I felt the intended emotion. I was not surprised with Cassius's death. I also wasn't like completely saddened at it. I was like, yeah, it's going to happen. Like so much betrayal happens, I'm like, yeah, of course. I'm con-, like okay. another they do someone does an atrocity. I'm like, yeah, okay. Like the the horrors that Darrow is feeling with um Or Lysander with the obsidians doing all these crazy things. I'm like, yeah, this seems normal. (laughs) I'm numb to it. I'm not feeling the same emotion anymore because it's not special. Atrocities are just like part
2: of it. Let's start with Cassius when we talk characters, but to stay on that for Mm emotion-wise. There's almost a... Yes, I agree. If you you weren't heartbroken when Cassius died, he was definitely intending that. But something that you're saying there is almost a huge props to Pierce Brown in that you're feeling this emptiness of there's so much going on there's so you're feeling like darrow is in a lot of the sense of there's so much carnage and so much brutality happens that when you see a scene when everyone's dying or this you feel like darrow does like this is no longer i no longer feel how i felt in golden sun when this was a big deal to darrow you are in the character arc along with darrow of like when the hell does this end when do we get to the next th- and quicksilver you were right. just you're, well that part of the emotion to bring be, up the is. Volga
1: moment, like Volga, turns out t- toward the dark. Okay, let's, go to, let's yeah. go to characters. Anna. Let's go to characters. Let's go to characters. What would you five? give
2: character rating out of ten? I gave the characters a seven point two five out of ten. I gave it an eight. Okay. And I have I, I'm I have a brutal thing to say about the characters, but I want to start with all the good. Okay. Uh, and w- let's start with we were talking about Cassius and Volga. Let's go with all the important characters. We'll try to hit as many as we can, but starting with Cassius, sure. So, what was your point with Cassius if you didn't feel that ending there? i I just wasn't emotionally attached to it like i I get all the points. like
1: I like Cassius. he's definitely has one of the most unique voices from the whole book where sure. whenever he's talking, I just I'm always having fun with him. I, I loved when he was on the page. It was very enjoyable. But when he had that heart to heart with Darrow, you knew he was coming. I was like, oh, he's dead. yeah, hundred percent he's dead. Death flag, he's coming. <laughs> And when it happened, I'm like, yeah, of course. And I just was, yeah. I get you. Death is a part of it. Like, all the people are going to die.
2: Honestly, if any of the main characters died, I'd be feeling about the same. So I know a lot of people out there felt like they they cried during the end of this book. And I'm I'm reading reviews. I'm seeing people that were just floored and heartbroken with Cassius dying. I'm on your camp with this series being one of my favorites. I also wasn't. I love to cry during the book. It's like, if a, if a book can make me feel like that, like, pfft, you floored me, mm-hmm. but I didn't either. And I think the reason is I'm trying to logic. Why? If I love red rising so much, I think the reason is I kind of almost grieved him in iron gold because he basically, he, we had the kind, the death. We Lysander's point of view, we thought Cassius died and it mm-hmm. was an off screen death. We didn't exactly know, but it was more so of, okay, Cassius is gone. And then he was brought back this book and then gone again, almost feeling like, oh, you brought him back and he's dead again. So maybe that that emotional part of our brain is just thinking like, oh, I kind of already dealt with that. And it didn't help that we didn't like Iron Gold. Sure. So maybe that's combined why we have a similar feeling. Because I know a lot of people out there love this To part. give you another point yeah. is... I think a lot of grief with a character's
1: death is knowing that they should have gotten more, that they deserved more life after that there was more for them to do. When oh God, we can't Don't Don't spoil but there's a lot
2: of different spoilers with I'm trying to think series. of There's okay. a certain character in Can I say the book? It, it's not a spoiler if I say the book. Which right? one? Uh, he, yeah, I don't want to there, there's a nah,
1: we can't say that one. Um okay. no, let's I'll, I'll try and that. think to Red Rising okay. of Okay. Lorne. Yeah. I think I felt Lorne's death more because there was more for him
2: to do. Well, I, I would say maybe more so for like Fitchner too. Fitchner. Lorne was too. at the end of his life, but there there was that sadness I had for someone like Victra. I felt well where I thought she died, right? Sure. Or there's Victra, more. there was so much more. And then the, her last breath to Darrow being Ragnar. It wasn't me, Ragnar. Ragnar, well, like there was
1: yeah. there was a story there too. And you knew like if if not for this moment, like Ragnar would have a story to continue on. It would be very interesting and fulfilled. With Cassius, I always felt like he's done. Like, his story is done. He's got there. I don't see much of a future for him, really, other than, like, tertiary character. Like, it it was right for him to die
2: in this one. It was, but th- then the people who were affected by this death maybe the point of, hey, Cassius and several finally made up. The point of going forward with Cassius, Darrow, uh, Diomedes, them all being bros now mm-hmm. and seeing what the future could hold and him living to the end, him living to the end and having that happy, happy ever after because his, his character here, I, I have some, what, what, worked, what did Cassius want? He wanted redemption. He wanted to be, uh, several says it best when they're having their, their argument. He says this line. He says, you claw for an eerie chance to be the hero because you know you'll always be the villain. Cassius has he failed Lysander, he mm-hmm. failed him completely, and now Lysander's turned into this. and He was with Lysander for a decade. Mm-hmm. He was on the wrong side of the war before the, you know, he, he killed Eris, he killed Several's dad. So he was on the wrong side, and now he's kind of trying to make up and be what is the honorable, what is the right thing to do. And he's constantly trying to be the hero. And so his ending made so much sense because he's like, what, what he says when he's dying to, um, to, to when Lysander's about to kill him, this is what he says Cassius says. But if it must be guilt that drags you down, brother, I will be your millstone. That's what he says to Lysander before he kills him. So which, I'm, I'm going to be the, he's doing his redemption arc of, I'm, I will be your millstone. I will be the guilt you keep thinking about. I will sacrifice myself for, the, to be the hero, to redeem myself from the wrongs I've done. I put, I didn't which lead you correctly. I, I do have to say that
1: needs to happen in Red God. Need, Lysander's fall needs to be in part due to him killing Cassius. That needs to gnaw at him and cause him to oh, it mistake. To. It has to.
2: If it's just Darrow winning the day or like a of Do you want to transition right in into Lysander? Or sure because we Let's gotta hit a lot of character. So what do you think with about Lysander with this book?
1: Uh, he goes from bad to worse in a good way. At where he's lost a lot of his stupid idealism and has moved far more than just to the, he feels like he's pot committed and he's so stuck into the utopian idealism that he's lost all of the kind of good stuff that he had the, the one admirable quality is he did have a he admired the people of the rim and to the, the golds of the rim do have some admirable qualities Diomedes. diametes is admirable like they live in a they their system of government is not right it's not just they, of course all that
2: but comparing them to the core golds there's something to admire for example let's do a quick tangent go right back to lysander but diomedes mm-hmm. and well he's he's a static character in the sense that he's an honorable guy like static mm-hmm. is not as a negative term just he he doesn't have an arc he doesn't have a huge dynamic just everything changes for him he is honorable well he is
1: yeah, Go it, on that what's best for him is he believes like Lysander says he does about gold being the shepherd yes and for him there is it's about the role they play like going it's the outcome of hey we we are here because we're we are smarter we hold more t- we have a longer lifespan we have all these things and we should provide and make the lower co- all, all society better when he realizes hey the system we came up with, failed miserably. Can I quote that And for that's you? the point.
2: The, the, at the end of the trial, remember when Darrow's giving this impassioned speech at the trial when they're taken by the daughters? Mm-hmm. And he's saying this and this and this. And then Diomedes goes up to the stand and he says literally, civilization is based on exchange and social contracts. I was taught that the low colors exchange liberty for security and stability. We have failed to provide security. We have failed to provide stability. We have failed you. The contract is broken. Take your due. When he realizes that they have failed. Fair so his point of view was, we are doing something good for these low colors. We are benefiting them. And then look, they they did not provide any of the things in the social contract they promised. Yeah. Whereas Lysander takes that and goes, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to Lysander, yeah. By Diomedes was a great character in this book. Oh yeah, the he, fact he, that he, he realized,
1: really he, one, is going around the right path of, hey, what what's the point? The whole point is actually... Serving your society and helping people, mm-hmm. and the system I followed didn't work. Okay, I guess I'll try this other system because I fail. Our color
2: failed. Let's try your way, right? Because all right. Whereas Lysander, then what, the the big change he makes in this book that clicks in his head, I think, is when he's giving the speech. Um, when he go when his hostage and Atlantia doesn't think Lysander will say anything in front of everybody to rally people to go to Phobos. We'll talk more in plot about all that, but. Lysander says in the speech, "I wonder where have all the shepherds gone? In their place, I only see wolves and sheep, because he sees golds as these shepherds, of course. Mm-hmm. But I think throughout Lightbringer, he sees, okay, our shepherds here have turned into either wolves or sheep. Where have the shepherds gone? I am the only shepherd. I am the only one who can lead these people. No other gold can. The Rim has failed. Atlantis has failed." I must be Lysander Aulun, Salinas, I must bring back the history of the golds and I'm the only one who can get the job done. So he thinks it's Mm -hmm. now a lot more egotistical. Rather, before it was a lot of the golds, it's now, I must start this new age. or Maybe not, go back to the old age, whatever term you want to use. And it's the arrogance, I think, of especially his youth
1: Mm -hmm. that he's failed so many times and he causes all these atrocities. Like, why do you think that that's going to stop. Like, you're not the shepherd now. Why do you believe that for some
2: reason you being in charge is going to be any better? But it makes him such a great villain, because you completely understand his point of view. And you, we're inside his head. We get his, we get his perspective a lot. Mm-hmm. And you could, what makes a great character and a character really shine is you could think of a decision in the world. You could think of if something happened to that character, how would they react? You always know how Lysander would react because he's written so well. Yeah. The, the one thing that I'm kind of realizing,
1: though, is with the amount that he's betrayed by the core golds and by golds in general, I would think at some point we'd realize, like, he's not on the good side here.
2: And he's constantly, it's a well, weird here's, here's perversion. Th- yeah. Here's the thing with that. that well, I had that thought in my mind, too. Sorry. Did you have more to that? No. It, oh, yeah, it, yeah. No. It, it, that's basically it. Of, okay. Like, I'm
1: going. Why does he not yes. see like the problem is with Golds?
2: I think they- I have the answer for you because there's there's these two scenes that happen. So when he was talking earlier on, he that what he looked back on fondly. He was thinking about Virginia in a certain scene because he was going to negotiate with her. But he was like, "Oh man, I remember really respecting Virginia when I was young. I was in my youth, and he enjoyed walks in the Palatine's Park. This is what he would say. Mm-hmm. And so one one re- repetitive thing that he goes is when he's making these bad decisions when he's doing things that are evil. And he he goes after, uh, and one of the scenes, I can't remember which scene, but right afterward he goes, I wonder if it will all be worth it in the end when I'm walking in Palantine's Park or something like that, where he just goes, I remember my youth and how perfect society was and how my mother, the sovereign, and look, there was peace. Everything was so great. And his whole entire life from 10 years old into his 20s now has been nothing but constant war and destruction because of this republic. So in his point of view everything was great. Re- revolution happens, nothing has ever been good. It's constant awful and evil to him. And yet he says
1: so. that he says out loud that like the society is the reason the revolution happened. And He says that that like a gold's mm-hmm. failed. Mm-hmm. He's right. He says that, but he never really believes it. Like he's actually always thinking positively on you know what I mean that's
2: that dual thing he may say well here's the thing core, the core golds failed the rim still had things going pretty well so maybe he saw the light in like oh our us core golds failed in the sense of uh, we didn't we didn't treat them as properly as the rim does because you know what? something about the rim that was more admirable is when they have rationing the golds also ration there's more of a sense of yes it's still wrong what they're doing to the low colors but there's a more Quote unquote equity, or there's a there, sense of there's honor actual
1: there. action behind the flowerly words yes. that yep. the rim says, where the rim says, like, oh, hey, we're the shepherds, what like the whole honor thing. Yep, gold does that too, but it's all theater. Yep, at least with the rim, like it's not all theater, it's still wrong, but yeah, they at least do
2: have a sense of responsibility and right. try the fact that Diomedes exists. Yeah. Almost doesn't prove Lysander's point. It builds to his reasoning. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll want to go on to another character because yeah. we we'll wanna hit all the all the big ones here. So Darrow, let's talk Darrow. We got to. You yeah. can't miss Darrow. So what did you think about him, his character arc? Felt book? right. Felt the, right. His new his new Zen uh mentality,
1: following the path, all felt right. You, you needed two books to him for him to be beaten down low enough where it's that it's not something he could just fight his way out of. He has to change his mentality. There were several moments and scenes where he made the opposite he made a different decision that what he would have in the first trilogy. Right. And I liked it. My favorite scene in this whole book was him and Quicksilver. That was my favorite scene of the whole book, is that moment where he realizes Quicksilver is abandoning the Republic like all these resources that he took out of the Republic and made this new society um, Noah's Ark. Which he you very much, <laughs> very much support. Very much support. Great, great decision. Perfectly right decision. <laughs> but he realizes that there is no, like from like from Quicksilver, there's no more hope. There's nothing you can get out of this. There is no ships to help, help his family. And yeah, old Darrow would have just... Fought and tr- and beaten up Quicksilver and tried to take what he can to help him. And then he realized that now new Darrow is going, If I fight him, I'm not going to get anything. There's too much, like that would be pointless. This path is closed. What is the next best available path? And Raylan just accepting it, accepting that Quicksilver made his choice. There's nothing that can be done. Ask him for help, but what can he provide? And Quicksilver is able to provide. A good bit. Helps helps Darrow hey, out in a, to a significant here, degree.
2: The daughters over here. here right.
1: I'm going to give you intelligence. Hey, that's really helpful. Hey, mm. I'm going to give you this new uh, fighting tech. I'm going to retrofit your ship. He made the right decision. Mm-hmm. And that was like, ooh, that was a good moment. It's one of my favorite moments for Darrow. Actually, real change. And that happens right. a couple of other times. Like
2: another time it happens where Severo and Cassius are fighting. Mm-hmm. And they're having their whole brawl and Archimedes in the ship. Darrow sits down and watches yep. them fight and goes, I will wait for them to finish fighting and then I will scold them. <laughs> Not Nothing can be done. There's no... Like, I can't make more, them get along. It's more of a stoic approach.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's great. It's very but This willow's way has some stoic elements to it. Well, the thing is, the willow's way is this old one where it's all about... So the difference was standing in one place, the willow tree. It's rooted into the ground, but as an attack comes able to bend and a counterattack mm-hmm. all but you're still in your same spot it's all about like being able to redirect a flow but it's still attacking right his new mentality is being able to change and move from his spot not just how to def- how to perfectly defend your position but how to move positions how to completely change that was the big change for him so idealistically now he's not it's not hey how do i how do i make my plan work it's how he's able to just change the plan completely
2: right right and he has this more prudence mm-hmm. rather than the the rashness we know darrow to be yeah for how many books now right so mm-hmm. he's finally being more prudent about things and that's great and so this is the thing about series as well of why it's more acceptable that this his character arc very much is right from the get-go and beginning you already see this arc happening now mm-hmm. you the the scene where that's not as apparent is when he fights the Minotaur and he's like getting beaten and bested because he's being a little bit rash here. A little bit a, rash, l- but, but bit. also just no, stuck he's, in his ways. So yeah, yeah, he's still stuck in his ways. So you have that moment to show he still has a little bit growth to do here. But the book, for the most part, he's kind of, he doesn't fail too much in that direction. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, very much, he's very much being more prudent and thinking things through more and making the better decisions as the book goes on. But what I mean by it's more acceptable because this is a six book series, right? Imagine I think if this was a book one, that's less of a satisfying character arc. Whereas there's five books now, we know what Darrow's been like and his rashes in this, and now this is an entire book about him holding back that rashes and starting to learn the Willow's way. So there's the the benefit he he knew the Willow's way. Now it's the
1: um, his new fighting style is called um, the wind of stone, like yes, the wind
2: of stone or something. I forget the exact name. You might be correct. It's yeah. something with yeah. stone and wind or I've been you, I've been saying Will's wind. Way, so I've been wrong about whatever word I've yeah. been saying. But yes. So he this whole book is pushing more and more into that character arc direction. Which mm-hmm. is great. Character- yeah, I felt deserved. Yeah. I'm a little worried though that like
1: Darrow's like there character wise. i yeah. um uh, I'm a little nervous that his character arc is about done. And then and there's a whole book. He'll
2: die and Pax takes the lead from there, right? Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. It's going to go down the Pax. Like, yeah.
1: Or someone else where I'm going, I think he's in a good enough mental state that even if he loses Severo, mm-hmm. he'll pick up. Like It's not going to be as debilitating for him anymore. His He's in a healthy enough mental state that he can handle loss and move forward. That I'm just oh. not sure where his character goes.
2: I'm curious because when we're thinking of the basic structure of a character—flaws, wants, needs—for Darrow, what does he want? He just wants to ride off in his motorcycle with packs, right? Yeah, that's what he wants. But isn't that also what he needs? Kind of. What? Because I think his wants almost align with his needs here. Like, where where well, does his character end? What else? Character-wise, I think he's almost good. Right. What What else does Darrow need in book si- seven?
1: I'm I sure know. there's more. I'm, I mean, it's it, at this point, it's external problems. Yeah. I, I think he's just about solved his internal problems. Maybe there's some like thing, kinks to iron out, but in all honesty, right. he's he's a much healthier person. Mm-hmm. He he's accept. It's all good. Maybe he has to. But yeah, I, I really don't know where his character's supposed to go from here.
2: That's why I'm so curious to see where it ends because what what does Darrow need? Yeah, that, I, that I, is well, obviously mm. the external stuff. Yes. But what, does, what else does he need internally? But want to go on to another character? And a yeah. few more big ones, and then we can go into plot here. Sure. Um, how about we mention very briefly, we talked about Quicksilver enough. Yeah. And uh, so let's move on. Maybe Severo. Severo is a very important character in this book. Yeah. So what did you think about Severo?
1: <sighs> I was annoyed with him almost the entire time. Annoyed. Go All on. of his quirks in the first trilogy became very very annoying in this book incredibly so that mm. here's the thing and his annoyance and his character was worse before he knew about his son's death and then when he had his son's death he was angry and mm. justifiably so and at least understandable and then he changed and then he got a little better okay. but before that he's he's actively just not good he's he's bad Teammate, he's a bad leader, he's a bad everything, he's a bad friend, it, it, and all the little quirks about him. He's just, I don't enjoy him. Anytime he's on the page, I Damn. don't like him being there. Damn. I was happy when he was getting on the ship with Lear to go home with tail between his legs. I was like, Good, awesome. Now it's just Darrow and Cash, just better characters. Is I it, want Darrow, I want several gone, I want him gone. And he didn't leave. Is that you didn't see where he was coming from? Not completely. I, I saw it. it. was just annoying. And he, mainly it's... Yeah. He should know better. He really should. All this time or the fact that he's constantly going, oh, you're just a terrible father and I just want to be a father to my kids. I, I'm sitting here going like, Mars is under siege. How do you not understand that you going home helps nothing? How do you not get that sever? You've been at war for this long. If you if the Republic doesn't win, all your family's dead. Why the hell are you not helping? How are you not willing to give everything you can to help the Republic? Because your whole family's dead otherwise. And constantly, sh- constantly shitting on Darrow and every plan and constantly being a negative. And that's before his son's death. Before he realizes that. It, I and think all of the, the little quirks of his personality all the like the animalistic and just all that stuff that used to be cute in the first series is
2: not cute when he's an actual older man. It's not cute at all. It's annoying. I think a lot of it is and we're going to talk something in plot here. Um but I don't I, I don't want to go too far ahead, mm-hmm. but with several's character, why I think I understand where he's coming from. Uh, this so here's what I have for some of his notes of why mm-hmm. he's a fl- why what his flaws are. He's bitter and defeated. And that comes across as as you're saying you don't like that like you don't like how you think the quirks the quirkiness he had in the pre, in the first trilogy was a lot more admirable and cute you're saying than it was now but what, one thing he says what, this is this is a line about him saying to to Derry. he goes Orion Harnassus, Alex Rona Daxo we don't know if Pax and Electra are safe not for certain maybe they're dead maybe my girls are next maybe Victra maybe Virginia shit we couldn't beat the core in 10 years now it's the rim too so I think his thought is they just went through a decade of war where they couldn't beat the core. Now it's the core plus the rim. And so I think his mentality is like, it's over. It's, it's this defeatingness to him where he's just done and he just wants to go with his family. Not to, because yeah, yeah, you could fight, but he's almost hopeless. He's hopelessly just going like, fuck all this. Shit, Done. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna be. This. And then when his son Ulysses dies, he doubles down into his character arc. What well, I thought it was an interesting arc. Like I, I thought it was definitely. It was pretty compelling. Where he's taking this approach of there's two different people. There's your Sevro and there's your, the Goblin. And when Ulysses dies, he's like, okay, you know what? They goblins who my family needs right now. They need someone that someone's that that the enemy's scared of. I just need to be the Goblin. My own wife didn't tell me when she had the chance that Ulysses died. I wasn't there for her to actually protect them. I just need to become a savage again. And like goes through that arc and then learns. I'm, so they're- I'm happy that that was quick though, because that I've I've seen that kind of done of several.
1: Like, we even have that in Stormlight, kind of like, the the fake multiple personality stuff, where like, oh, I'm gonna. Sh- I- I'm glad it well, was quick because well, sure, Daryl we- shut that down of like, you're an idiot. None of that. Yeah. No, you're not the Goblet. You're not. You are Severo. That's yeah. what you are. Yeah. You've done all... I'm glad that that was a quick arc for... It didn't go for a long time.
2: Yeah, I think it was an appropriate length. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, you I don't, don't, see, that you don't see that point of view of why Several feels all of this because, again, when Several and Daryl are taking this war differently. Yeah. And when we saw Pierce Brown um, at giving his Lightbringer review or his Lightbringer press conference when we were at the bookstore and one of his QSA, he was just saying when it came to Iron, Gold, and Dark Age... Of pure, of Darrow after the ten years of war and the decision he made in Iron Gold was hey to, to protect fa- Pax I just have to end this and then Severo's point of view was he's uh, they're taking different points of views as fathers and Severo says hey my dad Fitchner dead and he's not there for me I'm gonna be there for my kid that that sort of thing so they they want they, they're taking this war completely differently mm-hmm. um, and yes you like you I think it's good to like Darrow's point of view more. But I guess the frustrating part about several, like, yeah, I wanted him to be on the right page and be hopeful, but that's what makes the ending better. Thing is, I. I the fact that he's just
1: kind of pussyfooting around it and not really actually going home and protecting. Like, he still participates.
2: It's it just. Well, you see, this defeating this, right? That he's you don't you don't understand. You get why he is, though, right? Like I after, guess after so. But or, if
1: he was truly defeated, doesn't
2: believe in the republic anymore. Okay, go home, protect your kids. He was going home, but then Ulysses died, and he that changed that flipped the switch. He was going home. I, I guess so. Yeah. I,
1: I guess I get it more now. I still sure. didn't like him any time he was on page, and okay, and this is further not just his motivation; it's all the the weird several quirks of him just like causing a mess and like being mean and not talk. Like, the whole guess, goblin several personality that he has is not cute in this book. And I was annoyed every time he talked.
2: That's therapy is there's books and characters that like you love, like there's someone wheel of time, for example, mm-hmm. where you take them and you really love the quirks mm-hmm. or I can take the real time character and go like, all right, let's get yeah, to you this. So, with the I, I can totally relate. If, if the character does not connect for you, and you're just not there. Something's not clicking. Sure. It just, doesn't yeah. Click. I, I think, I think, uh, also, I don't think mainly his
1: character voice. I didn't like his character voice on how he talks, and it's just, it was grading Let's, let's touch
2: on that in Dialogue Pros more, too. Fair enough. Um, I, lastly, let, let's cover some last big ones here, like Lyria. Lyria's a big point of view. Um, what are your thoughts on Lyria?
0: Yeah, I think Lyria.
1: Seems almost like the mistake character. <sighs> uh, I I really don't know where she's. She's not much of a character. She's more of a plot vehicle. So, and she's a main POV. It, it's very strange. So I know in Dark Age they kind of set up this whole. Lyria has the parasite thing in her. And she's going. So she can become more interesting to the plot and like contribute. And then this book immediately taken out. None of that. And you go, okay, she's going to contribute in another way, and she's going to contribute with helping Volga. I get, yeah, it's there. But it's just a really small piece that I'm – I forget a lot of her story, and most of her POV is following the other characters, and you're just seeing – she's a vehicle to see our other characters from an outside
2: point of view. I –
1: I'm not interested in her as a character.
2: I completely agree with that point of her character seems very much like a plot device. Mm-hmm. Where, you're right, when she's around, so one thing she does for Darrow in this book is when Darrow's giving the speech at the end to, in the trial, he kind of looks at Lyria and goes, wait a second, Lyria is someone who hated me once. Mm-hmm. So are these people that I destroyed at the rim. The, the daughters are angry at me. I can convince them. If Lyria could change, so could these people. So it was like a, a moment where he said that mm-hmm. because what Lyria does is she, I liked how she looked at Darrow and this is what she said. She she was saying for a horrifying second, I realize what it must be to be like him. The man cursed to use the weapons of the enemy to liberate people like me. All for what? People like me to stand with their hands on their hips and scold him? All the anger I've had over the years dissolves in the reality of his existence. I wouldn't want to be in on an iron rain. I wouldn't want to fight a peerless guard. Kind of like meeting and when, when she gets that initial look at Darrow, she goes like, wow, this is a big daunting man, I wouldn't want to be in his position, mm-hmm. which doesn't, re- it's not like a, a an amazing moment, it's not, like I like seeing her around the other characters, and her relationship with Cassius is nice, but something about her character arc, and just what we've seen over three books, is really kind of quick, and her, her first chapter introduction in Iron Gold was like, wait, who was her family? That was like, what, what, what just happened? And then there's not this deep emotional connection with the thing she's been through, and so when this when she goes and confronts Darrow, like yes, her mind changes. Like whoa, this man is not what I thought. And yeah, sure, there was development over Dark Age. I'm really making this rudimentary, but some. And I'm, I'm preaching to sure the choir. I'm sure the choir yeah. being you. I think the people at home hate us right now. Yeah, but probably. The choir being you of she she changes real quick, and there's not a satisfying like oh yes, Leary is finally on Darrow's side, or there's not like a everything came together. This is good now. He she does seem like that mistake that. Pierce Brown, when he's rewriting this book a couple times and he's looking, I'm sure there's a draft where he had the parasite doing something in the plot. Yeah, I'm it, sure I feel like that that was that was a direction he had a plan for. Yeah. And mm-hmm.
1: then abandoned it. And I know he was in this book, it's kind of trying to make a point of she's going a different direction than Darren all that doesn't want to be a weapon. She's not going to give up her memory. They tried to have that nice moment with her and Mateo. Mm-hmm. But to me, it felt more like okay, he uh, he wanted to scrap that direction, go with right. something else. Right. And I'll be honest, I would have liked a Volga POV instead of Lyria. <laughs> you really would want a Volga. Thing is, she had very interesting, fascinatingly interesting story going on there. I Would have
2: been great to see. I actually... Would have been amazing. I hated Volga this book. Yes. I hated her this I book. want to know why. Because yeah, she it, was it, so great. It made no sense to me. Go, yeah, go on with that. It she is in such
1: a different place, and because we don't get to mm-hmm. see any of it, it doesn't feel justified. I, I I know Pierce Brown could justify it if we got to see it, right?
2: But it just is such. It was such a harsh juxtaposition from where she wants Look at me trying to use big words. Never let me do that. Always always call me out on that. Okay, <laughs> don't, don't, look, I'm trying to sound smart. Let me sound dumber. There was such a big contrast yeah. from from Volga in the previous books of like, you don't think she would be that naive. She's smarter than that. And almost the incompetence of her believing that was just really frustrating to read. And again, I gave characters a name. I think there's great moments. We're talking about Daryl. We're talking about that. my biggest negatives if we're just talking about characters were Lyria, Volga. That th- those point of views were my big harps. Why this isn't a higher character score, and a, a little bit about Fa being a little bit less intimidating as a villain because of when when it's revealed. But small things like that. But Leary and Volga are the harshest I'm going to be on characters here because mm-hmm. they they didn't connect, and the whole Volga thing was just what what's going on, ah, and I'm sure you felt the same. Yeah. So I
1: yeah I was. I was a, I was deeply I was m- more emotional in what Pierce Brown did to my sweet summer child of Volga than anything else in this book. That was the biggest travesty. Cassius can go die in a pit. I don't Aww. care what
2: he did to Volga is worse. Clipping that. <laughs> well, when we're talking about the, summarizing the great characters, sure, Darrow done really well. Loved Lysander. Okay, and don't support Lysander. <laughs> Just love his point of views. He's such a fascinating character. I like several much more than you did. Cassius diomedes and i think the other the side characters that worked really well also the fear knight atlas Atlas Atlas. is a
1: really good character he's a static character character, but he reflects so much he gives so he moves the plot he move he gives us so much more insight about the world yeah the the world yes love that a lot his uh has some of the most emotional moments like what he pulls out of the other characters is great. Yep. His um, he doesn't have the banger lines, but man, he's just he an intimidating feels threatening. Force. Yes, always and a threatening. He he's mm. the
2: Aja to the Sovereign, just like he, at the Atlas to the Atlantia. Yeah, he he's that role, and he does really great. And I I also like we talked about Quicksilver loved his point of view, and just, that make Quicksilver makes so much goddamn sense as a character. That is how you he'd react. It's exactly sure. what he'd do, and. Last Victor and Virginia talked briefly about them as well, what I really thought was effective. Because really, when it comes to all these characters, they all have they're all very unique and they work in this huge, massive epic scope. It's just impressive you could see all these unique voices and get that done in in a book Mm -hmm. like this. Where Virginia was such a she was a relatively small part about this book, but she had such a quick arc. Do you remember what her arc was? Because it was really it was super quick, but I thought it was neat that it could get fit right in there. Like uh, her, remind me. Just her in the battle uh, and, and Phobos, she was constantly making decisions that her father would have done. Like when, you know, when uh, she pulled yeah. the shield down and le- when she let the ships crash through and kill a bunch of people to save the shield so they could last the fight. And she's doing little things here and there of like, that's a decision Adrius would have done. My father would have done. I did the same thing. And she's constantly making decisions in this fight. Um, yeah. Another one of, uh, here's a quote from her amputations on the field are best done without consulting the patient. My father said that once at the time I thought it grotesque. So she's making these decisions constantly of like, oh my goodness, I'm I'm making decisions my father would have done in battle. But then when it comes down to when Ap- Apollonius the Minotaur, who we'll get more into dialogue because we have to move on the plot. But mm-hmm. Apollonius I think was a great, his his lines were really strong. Such a it's flaunter. The most, it's the most fun. Most fun. And intimidating villain too. So, but uh, but she's as polise is coming for from for her she said i'd send what was left of my bodyguards to create a distraction so i could slip out by myself for the republic that's what Adrius would do or my father not me not today so she has that moment where she goes no I'm, i still have to stick with my people it's a really small arc but i thought it was nice that you that Pierce Brown fit that in with the battles going on, with her being a small portion of the book. Mm -hmm. I I think Virginia is just a
1: great character. I like her. Really like her. I like her a lot more this book, especially than like Iron Gold.
2: Yes. And hey, we could talk about so many more. There's Foz, we didn't touch on, Pax the Sun we did Electra, Dido. There's so many, but I hope we covered the main one so we can get into the plot here. Yep. And you ready now? What is your (laughs) plot out of 10? Oh, Lord.
1: I gave (laughs) the plot a seven out of 10.
2: Oh, my God. Hold on. Hold the phone. Richard and Austin have the same rating for a category. Ah! Ah! (laughs) (laughs) I also gave it a seven. This is my lowest actually of the categories. Uh, Do you want to start? Sure, I'll start.
1: Um, The tone. The tone of the book starts off with I'm expecting action and sad deaths. (laughs) That's what I got.
2: It was promised.
1: I I got what was promised in the tone. Um, The how it starts off with the world before of how like the Republic is losing badly. It it's losing real bad. And the whole thing is, hey, Virginia's sending off Darrow to go actually get help. That's how it starts. It ends with the Republic still losing bad, but Darrow's got some help. Yeah. That's the story effectively. That's where it begins and ends. Yeah. Um Yeah, and I guess I, that's fair enough. I, I liked Quite a few elements of it. However, I was never, I never peaked. There were never these, like, huge bombastic moments. The big bombastic moments never truly landed for me emotionally. And so that's why I'm constantly, like, this is really good. I didn't have any particular valleys where I hated it. Sure. But I also didn't have any things where I was super surprised. Yeah. I'm expecting betrayal out of every corner. It's more surprising that there's not a betrayal. (laughs) That's the surprising part. Is like, wait, Diomedes actually sticking he to his word? Huh. Neat. That's pretty surprising. <laughs> I'm always surprised when people are actually not completely assholes.
2: Rich, you stick to your word. You are, you, you, every single episode, you bring in that asshole. <laughs> <just> that inter- <laughs> hey, well, we're very much on the same page for this one, but uh, I think I'm a little bit higher than you. Mm hmm. Because for for plot, I I hate to take that, I hate to take your role on this podcast for a second. Oh, it's wonderful. But to, just I want to start bad just because I'm feeling spicy today. Okay. Why is plot the lowest? The, the things that okay, preface. Let's sandwich this preface with the genius of Pierce Brown able to writing the politics and wars, as if he's been in a space battle. Is what, what, when we go into the plot and when we're going into the attack on Phobos, I'm just massively impressed with how he fits all these pieces together and the plot twist mm-hmm. from Atlas and how it all weaves. Fantastic. Now, when that comes, this is a daunting task to write like Bringer, and I have the privilege and ability to be a reviewer who doesn't have to actually write this. And I can yeah. just say, here are some things that frustrated a little old me. Okay. We are not saying we can do better. We would do significantly worse. Actually, I couldn't do half as good of half of what half of Pierce Brown could <laughs> actually do. But just a few things, like when the book started, that I was questioning, going like, oh, several wasn't. Okay. First thing is, where was the abomination? Where was the jackal? I,
0: it's felt another, yeah. It's
2: another one of those plot points that kind of went, where was that going? That's
1: one of the things I feel like was a mistake. Like, I, and I, I feel like Pierce Brown made, uh, brought back the jackal and. Didn't
2: want to go continue with that direction. Maybe our opinion in Red God when the Abomination will be present. i um, has has to. to be because it can't just be where the hell did that go? He's going to do something with it, but maybe if it's brief. not
1: a huge part, then I feel like it'll still be a mistake. Like he'll I, he'll wrap it up quick just to get it over with and done because he doesn't want it to be a plot hole. Sure. I, so that, there's two avenues if he does it that way, avenue right? Yeah, mm-hmm. where if he's wrapping it up but mm-hmm. keeps it small, I feel like that would probably be. The mistake he's trying to correct. Right. If I'm wrong and uh the jackal plays a really big role, a really significant role, and like just comes together, yeah. then yeah, it was intentional. But as of now, it feels more like the mistake he made. That he's trying to correct.
2: And here's the thing there's so many antagonists and great antagonists in this book. Like you have to deal with Atlantia, Atlas, Lysander, Fa, all these people. So it's hard to fit another one on top of that. Mm-hmm. So I get the Situation he's in, like that's no easy task, and it, it led it leads to I'm sure in the previous drafts he probably had a bigger scene where he said the first seventy pages of a previous version of Lightbringer had several chapters, and I'm imagining those several chapters had something to do with the fact that he was in prison with the Abomination. Remember that? That's yeah. where it started. Where mm. he he probably has a whole plot in his head and on paper of what actually happened, with uh, that we just don't read and aren't seeing. So we're I'm sure that some, he's got something brewing. He knows where he's going with it, but could not fit it in this book. That could that so could be true as well. That very yeah. well could be true, and it just had me questioning that the suspension of disbelief for a second. Was like, oh wait, so the jackal sold several to the minotaur. Wouldn't the jackal, or at least this clone, get more value out of him? Like, was the money worth it? I'm sure there's a reason for it, but because it wasn't stated, because there wasn't, it wasn't as clear. I was just going like, ooh. All right, well, I'm going to hold complete judgment until Red God, but it's just something to note and go that was missing from the book. The fact that, yeah, he sold him for just money? I mean, there's more to it. There's there's got to be more to it.
1: The Jackal has to know that Severo is Darrow's best friend, Mm -hmm. like, of leverage to have over Darrow. Right. That's it. There's only Virginia and Pax that's higher priority, maybe yes definitely and that
2: motorcycle he talks about that motorcycle he talks
1: about the motorcycle quite a bit but yeah to give that away for just like
2: money yeah seems short-sighted yeah and and so that the two missing elements of this book seem to be the Lyria plotline that was just like dropped and the abomination wasn't there so that it was odd it was Mm -hmm. odd but there's so much to juggle and just just to that that moment where several comes and saves Darrow and um, and Cassius duel and stuff was just like okay so it it was just it was a strange start so to start off with that bad now getting to obviously the more the more good of what what was done so well with this plot of yes we were promised in this book there's going to be a lot of politicking and betrayals and you're getting another epic sci-fi saga space opera did that deliver as the book was going through what moments were great to you what what didn't work what did work
1: Almost all of the surprises didn't work for me. Oh, okay, I I, I don't. Th- I'm trying to think of twists that worked. So the the twist mm. of Quicksilver, I saw it from a mile away. Mainly Which
2: twist? the the fact that he was going off with yeah. Homo sapiens. Mm-hmm. Oh, you saw that he was going to leave. Oh
1: yeah, no, I saw that there was no, there was going to be no um, fleet. You, you knew that was his plan. No, I just knew that there was going to be no fleet with Quicksilver.
2: Okay, I thought the reasoning, though, was very... The reasoning was was great. I
1: enjoyed all that, but I'm just trying to show the twist, because the fact that they teed up Athena, the fleets, but, oh, we're going to go do Quicksilver because it's easier. So, like, now you have two fleets, and I'm like, they're not going to do both, because if you have Quicksilver, you don't need Athena, and they're not going to just... He's not going to... Prismar's not going to drop that. So, something's going to happen. Quicksilver isn't going to have the fleet. There's something off there. So I already knew, like going there, like that's gonna fail. So mm. that, that's another thing I knew was gonna happen. Cassius' death knew it was gonna happen quite a while. What when he had that moment with uh, Darrow, of like them bonding and like that brother moment, like ah, Cassius is dead. <laughs> like there so we you go. So you saw them coming, and that yeah, it for you, okay. And I think maybe the only one that was pretty surprising, though not. St- not shockingly so was Atlas' betrayal of the rim. Gotcha. That was probably the the one that yeah, landed I'm the hardest. You. But I... everything else of all the other portrayals of uh the fact that Lysander portrayed Diomedes and Darrow, saw that. I mean it's like I wasn't surprised. I guess why you know... the very beginning, the fact that Severo was not in the cell and that it was a trap. Saw
2: it coming, knew it. <laughs> like it I was it was constant. Someone like that, I think Petrus said this in his review as well. Like, Yeah, he saw a lot of it coming, but it was still so satisfying. And even though people saw Cassius' death coming, it still hurt because of the effect on other characters. Mm-hmm. So I, I totally see that point of view. I'm with you. Most of it was, predictable is the wrong word because all the politicking things meshing together, it's like, no, you didn't know Quicksilver's plan. No, you didn't know that this is they were going to attack Phobos this way and then Lassander would go and follow and the Atlas would do that. So there were those kind of twists. Whereas I think what Golden Sun and Dark Age did so well of two, like two, why I like Dark Age a lot more. There's a lot to it, but two moments like the day of the red doves was a shocker, was a shock. And I was, that I was
1: more mo emotionally connected to those moments because and for the, some reason, those, the build they landed up. better. Yeah. The deaths were more emotional to me, even though I didn't care as much about the, uh, uh, that's something off there that that was a far more emotional scene to me than Cassius's death.
2: Hmm.
1: I, I felt nearly
2: nothing with
1: Cassius's death.
2: I was like, ah, oh, that's sad. Mm. That was it. Be- maybe to go back to your point of it was coming to his end, whereas the day, day of the Red Doves was just wait. They had a plan. I wanted to see what this would come to fruition, and then boom, cut. And then like another surprising moment where it's very controversial in the Red Rising community, mm-hmm. but the Jackal coming back as a clone. I I personally loved that. I did not. I loved it. I was all over it because of the buildup, the, the subtle hint from Morningstar and then it coming to fruition in Dark Age. was, And I loved the Jackal's character so much. What got me so excited is going, okay, what's the Lightbringer going to do with the Jackal? He must have some grand plan, which we'll see in Red God. But it was a moment. So anyways, with this book, some of the twists were maybe more, more expected for you but um, is that why they didn't emotionally connect or what would you say was bad about that? If you see it coming, does that immediately go like, I'm less interested or how's that no, work for your it, head?
1: it just fit all too neatly together that I just oh. was not... It was written too...
2: It made too much sense, Pierce.
1: Well, no, <laughs> I... It made sense. yeah, And so everything f- felt right and it didn't... Nothing was like a, a wrench into the gears and going... Kind of shaking the table because Pierce Brosnan normally really good at just shaking the board, and now it's like, oh my god, the plan's got to change. It completely upends things, mm-hmm. where everything kind of
2: went along. Okay, so one of your expectations when reading a Red Rising book is there's going to be things I didn't see coming. There's going to be the... I didn't see it
1: coming, yeah. and even if I do see it coming, I don't see what the results of it are going to be. Okay, it like the, the whole board has changed where. The Rim, the Rim being, um, so betraying uh, Lysander and betraying the Rim, does that change much for Darrow's side? Like, Darrow's kind of just going like, meat. (laughs) I guess this is good. Like it, It wasn't, like, that doesn't change much for Darrow's side. And then for Lysander, it changes quite a lot for his character. But in all honesty, things kind of continued on the same path they were going to, just a different way because ultimately Lysander caught what he wanted in the end the exact same thing it just a different way of getting there and that frequently happens so with hey quicksilver's fleet is not there but you're know, going to go get um we're going to go get Athena's.
2: so i didn't feel the board being shook up maybe the most negative thing we can say about this book that i will agree with unfortunately mm. is it seemed like when pierce was writing this book the hard, it was an extremely hard task to get this done It seems like when he was writing this book, he went, for example, I want several and Darrow to be together. How do I get them together? Okay. I cut out the scenes of the the abomination sells them and then I'll have them at the Minotaur and then that's how they'll be together and that's how I'll get them to uh, to the moons of Jupiter. Uh, That's how I'll get them there. Rather than the mindset of these are characters that are real and I'm going to let them make decisions that they would competently make and see where it goes from there. And then... The wrenches and the things that get thrown, the the storytelling of this happens and that yeah not because this happens therefore this happens but this obstacle therefore this whereas if maybe in his head again I want I want to talk to Pierce so bad on this pot and then let's let's hammer into it well,
1: let's go Pierce, Pierce what were you th- I want to show you like yeah, yeah. compare a difference yeah Golden Sun where oh. it starts to where it ends yeah and like starting golden off as high sun. and then Golden Sun. You would never, ever predict that, like, oh my god, Darrow's secret's been found out and he's now stuffed in a box. Like, what? Where'd this come from? Like, it's just... I I never see it coming. With the beginning of this book, Virginia goes, go out, get us troops and a fleet. We need fleet. Come back and help. At the end, Darrow has gotten a fleet and he's coming back to help. Like, it's exactly what it said. In the beginning, like, there's not... Yeah, the twists and turns around to get there, but ultimately... We ended in a place that's not... A, like It's kind of set up for the beginning. The big I, picture thing. I am thinking like Dark Age. Oh,
2: losing Think about, at the Battle of Mercury. Oh, my God. The... It,
1: where it ends, I was... Yeah. Yeah, how do you the see that The up in the
2: beginning with Lysander versus Daryl and the duh,
1: duh, 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 duh. Yeah. All the... So from the beginning, I have no idea where it's going to end. And when it ends, I'm like, oh, my God, how did we get here? And it makes sense, but it was surprising and fulfilling. This one... Yeah, it he did what he said he was gonna do. It, it ended in a fairly predictable way. Like yeah, there's a lot of twists and turns to get there, but most of the time these Red Rising books end in such a
2: wild place. And that point of view is definitely affecting us that if Cassius's death didn't floor you. Because a lot of the pull in the ending is that death. A lot of it is Lysander. So the one thing I'm so ready for, Red God, what this does what this ends with really well is Lysander you want you want him done even more he's he's leveled up to a point of he's unforgivable and how do you, how do you defeat him well think about it this way mm-hmm. does the plot does the book change that much
1: with Cassius's death or him staying alive i don't think it changes at all oh i'm not i'm not disagreeing. Th- th- i think that's Here, the, here's the, the reason why i'm not emotionally yeah. there is cassius's death doesn't play an immediate role in the story in this book like i'm sure, yes it will have lasting effects mm-hmm. But normally when an important character dies, gets it, jarring for every, like the, it normally Fitchner means... died, you were going to
2: help, Fitchner was going to help Darrow with the Sons of Ares in mourning, so that was the yeah, plan. Yeah, and now you go, oh my God, them. what yeah. do we
1: do next? Yeah. What happens now? Or Cassius is not
2: essential to the, yeah. the the survival and the win for next book. You feel more,
1: yeah. oh, I'm sorry for Darrow.
2: Yeah. Uh, here's the thing, I'm, I'm doing pushback and forth. between I, We both gave this to Seven. Mm-hmm. I'm very much on the same page with a lot of what you're saying. Uh, especially on this plot thing of I didn't feel the same things you didn't feel for some reason there. And we're trying to figure that out Mm -hmm. as we go through. A lot of negativity, but at the same time, here's a big positive. I want to turn that wheel, turn the wheel of time for a second. I gave it a seven for a reason. I said, said, turn the wheel of time for a second. It was a poor use of it, but continue. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say like, thanks, neat friend. (laughs) friend using a book I like. Thanks, bud. So... The, the I agree, yes. Mm. I, I agree with you. But the points that were so high for me, and that's so impressive, is d- do you remember the buildup of this book when you started to get invested that 200 pages in? Maybe mm-hmm. it wasn't exactly 200 page mark. But the politicking of Atlantia and her reasoning and the competence of I don't want. I want my troops and my ships to still be alive. So she's kind of delaying this attack on the moon. And she, her, her political pawn piece is what she's trying to do versus Lysander versus the Rim wanting revenge and how all those pieces are moving to the attack on Phobos. This the scene with Phobos as well and Mars and the battle sequence there of how they kind of play this game. We'll talk more on world building about this, but all of what, like you said, all the pieces kind of fitting together neatly is both, no, it didn't give you the plot twist that you were looking for, and Red Rising is kind of known for that, maybe the things were more expected, but it is a huge accomplishment to fit all these pieces together, and go like, yes, that, and why the characters work so much, so well, is yes, that character would do that, that makes sense, that Atlantia's reasons make perfect sense, that's why her movement is over here, it makes sense why the Rim's doing this, and why Lans- Lysander's doing this, and so Something about that is really satisfying, that the plot's so, it's a such a coherent plot. It, it makes complete sense, even though we have our qualms with that was dropped, and that was dropped. They were dropped for a reason, and the reason was to make this book work well and work so that you, yes, you start, the job is, hey, Darrow, go get these ships and bring them back. So the journey is going with, the, the fun of the book is supposed to be Darrow, Cassius, several diomedes going in the archimedes and you're supposed to get this banter back and forth and you love that fellowship and you love that and you go you get the ships and now we're back and we're coming free of Virginian packs, we're coming home and mm-hmm. yes you're lamenting the fact that cassius died but we're coming and i could see a different me really attaching to that and loving that mm-hmm. i'm totally with you on the emotional side but i can at the same time it's not it's not poorly done at all it's yeah, really no, it's f- really not these it, negatives is
1: not being like oh it's a four no it, it's a seven it's it's well done it's really well done it's different from I kind s- of expectation and yeah. maybe to try and get an analogy out is sure. what i liked with uh, with pierce brown's writing is it's like you're building a puzzle but super zoomed in mm-hmm. on the puzzle pieces and you're putting pieces in and you go but you don't know what the puzzle looks like yet and then at the very end you zoom out and you go Oh, that fits perfectly together. But you only zoom out in the end. You only see the pitch, the full complete picture at the end, where it all makes sense. This one, it felt like we were building a puzzle piece already zoomed out. Like, I saw where it's going. Everything fit into place. It all fits well. It, the puzzle's made, but I didn't have that zoom out
2: moment of, oh, oh, my God. Well, except for Atlas and his planning. Because that was a bit of a zoom out moment where we figure out there's now this there's mm-hmm. this weapon of mass destruction that kills every color. Yeah. It's called what? The idmi idmi Edmi? Edmi? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So what did you think about that plot point at the end and going into Red God?
1: Oh, when that first came up, Paul, like, yeah, the gold, like, I, I uh, golds need to die. <laughs> that seems like a solution to everyone's problems. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm a little defeatist where I'm going... Yeah, the Republic should use that against the Golds because they are the problem.
2: <laughs> now, t- to finish a plot here, there there are those big moments like the trial moment for me, and Diomedes' line at the end. For I really connected with Diomedes. Same here. This, I really enjoyed Diomedes. Really did, and he he made a lot of the plot very interesting. Mm-hmm. And some of the when we're getting so all that progress happened in the book. What what we think we're on the same page of? We really liked the the battle and the politics. The battles were fun very enjoyable
1: action scenes well described i again became numb to the death and the horrors is that the point that caveat it yeah could, that could be caveat the point of hey you're feeling like Darrow. i think that that's part of it that's a that could be a positive yeah. but it also means like when something terrible happens and the uh, the characters are going oh my god how terrible i'm going like yeah, it seems kind of par for the course. <laughs> I don't know. When a character's horrified, I'm not horrified with them. I'm yeah. kind of like, you're surprised? Yeah, what's going on here? This, is... this is normal. This is a regular <laughs> Tuesday. Yeah, it's, it's 7 o'clock. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, a massacre. That, that Your regular scheduled
2: Tuesday massacre. Keep it going. Keep it going. <laughs> We're going to be here next week. That when it comes down to it, the payoff of the book, mm-hmm. was it all worth it? Darrow's, I think, on a character
1: and where how the plot takes it with car- Darrow's character. Mm. Very satisfying. I liked seeing him back on top when he was fighting Fa and really cool moment of him being like having idle thoughts while fighting, which is interesting of him in that flow state of Ooh, just going like yeah. oh, I wonder what this... He just he's paying attention to other stuff. Like he's not even have to focus on the battle much anymore, which was interesting, which is a good parallel to Lysander's uh, mind's eye thing. They both are kind of in... They both got there in very different ways. You know what I mean? How Lysander is hyper-focused on everything so everything slows down and he can think on all this stuff now at once. Darrow is kind of there as well mm. where things feel like they've slowed down and he has time to have think about idle things, not focused on the battle. So Darrow has almost his own version of the mind's eye, but it's far more zen-like and not... Oppress like the mind's eye is like almost hyper focused, hy- just this intensity, where Darrow's is just Zen. But both accomplish similar things. Yeah, so, so cool. You lo- love the payoff with Darrow. Love the payoff with Darrow. I enjoyed all the all the scenes with Cassius of him just talking, and all of his banter around him bouncing off of Severo Darrow and also Diomedes. All good stuff. Mm-hmm. All enjoyable.
2: So. Yeah, I, I think again. I think he will agree with this. The payoff portions that worked and were worth it was when we got the Darrow Lysander their confrontation at the end, that little meeting Diomedes put them into. Yeah. that plot moment. And hey, when when Lysander kills Cassius and looks down at them and is making an excuse to send bombs uh, while he's having the meeting with the Rim and just mm-hmm. nukes them not not an actual nuke, but just bombs them to death. That moment too. Uh, when we got the back and forth with Darrow and Lysander. And those moments were great. I think the lowest payoff portions were when it came to Volga and Lyria. When it came to their plot points of Volga, why are you making these decisions? And something was even Fa. Was it just me, or was is the Minotaur a way better antagonist way better. than Fa? When Fa turned off that voice box, we figured out he's working with At- Atlas. And I think, wait, so he killed Ephraim Gray and he killed um, he killed previously. Like, sure, she's an Obsidian. We know he's done bad things. But I wasn't really fearful of Fa as the final villain of this book. Did you feel the same? Yeah, no. Him
1: becoming such a fraud, yeah, mainly made him just like
2: when he became the coward at the end. It's like, yeah, he's yeah. a fraud. And eh. so Darrow did shine, and a lot of people reference that clang, clang, clang that scene. Mm-hmm. And yeah, well, definitely well written, but the. The plot movement of it wasn't, whoa, that we got in previous ones, which I'm curious. Well, because- him
1: confessing is not as big a deal of, like, yeah. having that kind of moment, like, confess and just, like, this moral triumph and just, like, this the social dominance that Daryl has over Fa is kind of expected. Faw's a coward. Having that over someone like the Minotaur, ooh, would be much better because he has much more prideful and just... A strong will where I don't
2: see Fa having a very strong will. Just like in Game of Thrones, the viper versus the mountain. Mm. You killed my sister! You admit it! And this mountain, he's just a beast of a man. He's just mm-hmm. What the hell is he got? So, okay, it's trying to do that moment. And Fa being such a coward? Yeah, you're right. Wasn't satisfied there. Again. <laughs> uh, again. Looping it back into, Are you, does the plot end in a way... That you're very excited for Red God. I'm definitely more excited
1: to read it than I was at Golden Sun. I'm actually more interested. I'm more happy to continue on than I was after Dark Age. Dark Age, like I liked it more, but it ended off in a spot that was hard to get me to start to read Lightbringer. Uh, You know what I mean? Like it just ended on such a dour note that I'm like, I don't know if I'm like excited to read Lightbringer. Glad I did. Enjoyed the book. But
2: now I'm like I'm more excited to read Red God, right? So I'm trying to remember how the book versus movie ends. So Lord of the Rings movie, and you know Boromir dies, and this is Lord of the Rings. Everybody, everyone, come on. So Lord of the (laughs) spoilers for Lord of the Rings, I guess. But when Boromir dies, and then we have that moment of reprieve at the end where, you know, we have Aragorn, Legolas, and we get together and go, "Let's go kill some orcs." Mm -hmm. Da da da, and whatever songs played. And then we have Frodo and Sam have their moment on the boat. So there is the low moment, but then that climb going into the next hook. book yeah. that gets you to go to Two Towers. Now, I'm trying to remember, I know in the books, Boromir dies, I think, in the Two Towers. He does. In the very beginning of Two Towers. Um, but, how does it exactly end? Does it? Oh, when the orcs are coming. Something yes. of the sort. So, maybe it's something where you don't have that everything's over moment and then goes to the next one. Whereas, but Golden Sun, similarly to Dark Age, ends with everything's over but doesn't does that give you the same feeling dark age did were you not curious to go in the morning star i'm trying to ex- golden exp- golden sun was almost like
1: i gotta know what happens next i don't like oh my god he's completely trapped it's like back against the wall completely okay and everything's against him dark age he survived he's the, like he's he got out so it's not that immediate sense it's just more dark and dour. You got the dark without the hope but in Golden... And also none of the immediate... It it wasn't immediate. Like I know Darrow's down but he's not like completely trapped. He got out. It's not the same thing as Golden Sun. Golden Sun was more immediate. Immediately action has to happen where with Dark Age
2: there's not that immediately immediate action. To use Lord of the Rings the two towers the books end with and then Frodo was taken. Yeah. Or the books, so it ends with that. What's happening next? So if you don't have the hope, I want that immediate action. The
1: cliffhanger? Yeah. Gotcha. Where, but this one, you got the hope. So I'm looking forward to see. You're ready. I'm hopeful to see the next one.
2: Okay. I'm just trying to explain your reasoning. I think it makes sense. I think think so. I think I see where you're going.
1: If it's the darkest night, if you end the book in the darkest night, I want either like, completely back against the wall, like, what's going to happen next? Like, immediately next? Or add a spark of hope, a little something. Empire Strikes Back at them looking out, like... Going, okay. You and gotta have Dark Age
2: was right between the everything lost and the hope, where it was just like, everything is lost and you're leaving. <laughs> so. Yeah,
1: then, like, imagine if Golden Sun ended with him just then getting out of the box. Gotcha. Like... Yeah, he's at his darkest moment character-wise, all that he's lost, but also he's not, like, immediately threatened. Gotcha, gotcha.
2: I understand your point of view. Okay, uh, we got that hashed out. So I'm, ex- I'm more
1: excited to read Red Gun. I'm looking forward to it. We're excited.
2: Want. I'm excited. All right, let's get into Dialogue Pros, then. What'd you give that out of 10?
1: Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dialogue Pros, I gave a 7.25 okay. out of 10.
2: I gave an 8 out of 10. Very close to each other here. Yeah. And... One thing to acclaim for his prose is the unique voices. I, you said something about unique voices earlier. Did you not think that? You said Severos. Severos was annoying. Okay. The others were... I loved Cassius' unique
1: voice. He was always fun when he's on the page. Diomedes was a surprise. <sighs> I loved Diomedes' voice in this story. Great. Um, Minotaurs. Oh, Minotaurs, always a fun time.
2: Virginia, Victra, All of them have clear, distinct voices. Mm -hmm. And Darrow, I want to just say two paragraphs from Darrow. Mm. I read this from the book, and I immediately went and exercised. Okay, good. Immediately. You know why? (laughs) Because I was sitting, I was like, oh, let me read because I I do booktube and I think I'm cool. right? And I started reading this, and here's here's what Darrow says. This is the beginning when he's training. Mm -hmm. I almost turned back around. No one will notice if I take a day's leave. No one will dare say I didn't work hard enough. I yawn again. (sighs) Maybe just a stretch today. Body could use it. Better to face tomorrow rested. I almost cave, but I know by now that voice of reason is the enemy. Inside me, there is a coward who fears discomfort. That coward will offer solace in the form of excuses, but it is the coward who grooms a man for his defeats, the coward who makes him accept them because he is accustomed to finding a good reason to quit. The coward inside can only be killed one way. I toss down my pack and don my training kit if that isn't just That's good if that isn't workout motivation 101 <sighs> we um, need to oh, can, we can need to have
1: two to gym <laughs> we need a we need a gym channel it's just us doing workout
2: stuff and like it would be fun how much do you relate to that mentality of when you're when your so mind much. is trying to tell you to stop just don't do it be a hedonist do this enjoy the temporary moment don't do don't every do time you
1: walk down the stairs into the basement you see me laying on the couch oh. over there. <laughs> That's hey, Rich, when the coward Rich, inside Rich, get your wins. ass up! We gotta record Lightbringer. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, th- that's the thing. The victory is the victory every day is when you win over the coward inside you. I don't. The I
2: like that. I, I don't know if this is a quote out there, but this is this is what I like to think. I've tried to emulate my life off of. Of just the. The fear. like what's your motivator? Let me say this before I say what I'm about to say. What is your motivator, Rich? What's your motivator? Prime motivator. Some people's motivator is money. Some people's motivator is pride. Some people's motivator is family. Like, what, what would you say is a motivator for you, other than trying to be, you know, buddies with me? I know I'm a great influence on your life, and it's just, you know, uh,
1: avoid self disappointment.
2: I like that.
1: You don't want to be disappointed in yourself. Yeah. So sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, that's kind of like I don't want to look in the mirror and like
2: maybe (laughs) look down on myself. Maybe I'm not just talking about like you know. I'm just talking about life things in general because I don't know if this is a saying, but I I was talking to myself going, why do I do things? There's a lot of reasons: family, friends, parents. Gun to your head. (laughs) (laughs) But the I was just thinking, you know what? The fear of regret. That, why do I stop doing something that's temporary? In that hedonism, it's the mm. fear of regret outweighs the temporary discomfort of discipline. Very oh, good. I was thinking about that. I was going, you know what, Mark? I don't. Know, someone that wasn't me probably said it. I was like, ooh, that sounds good in the mirror. Oh yeah, I'm I, sure Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> said yeah, that. he probably did. <laughs> I'm just ripping off like every every quotable site ever, but hey, they're
1: correct. Yeah, so they it's are. Not-
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Daryl was saying that, and we we have. Uh, we're going to agree his battle sequences. Very cool. Uh, Do you want to talk anymore about Dialogue Pros or get right into world building? I I think it's enough to just talk about Darrow's motivation. All right. World building magic. What'd you give it out of 10? I gave the world building a
1: 6.75 out of 10. Oh, so our biggest disagreement,
2: I gave it an eight eight out of 10.
1: Yeah. For me, it's especially in this book. I, I accept most of the stuff that goes on mainly because the world just kind of starts feeling more like magic. Like the technology itself is just like whenever they come up with something, I'm just like, yeah, of course. <laughs> it could do oh, this new thing that does yeah, sure, the why enemy. not? I'll be honest, they come up with like tran like they they find out a teleporter. Sure, a teleporter could be in Red Rising, why not? It, anything could exist in red rising universe there's no rules there's no bounds to like the technology of it i'm just okay (laughs) and for me the world feels more like generic fantasy with unique elements thrown in rather than a completely new coherent sci-fi world with its own style Um, okay and that's even more so with this book like I'll get my biggest negative on world building. Jupiter felt the exact same as Mars. I, I, if you subbed out the name Jupiter for Mars, I would have believed it, it doesn't feel any different. There was no di- distinct look, feel, nothing. Caves, like, it's just like, uh, eh. I couldn't tell. <laughs> you could be on Venus, Neptune. I don't know. <laughs> There's more moons, I guess. Uh, it didn't what? feel it didn't feel any different when the battle on the moon mm-hmm. uh, around mars felt the same as if it was on Mar- i couldn't tell that it was on
2: mars's moon not mars itself i get your point of view so i i disagree definitely with the moon one of like for example the phobos let me see these when i was right down the world building phobos impressed me actually what so here here's what it says let me find it um, yeah, so Phobos, when it was described, goes it's not a big moon. There's hundreds of star scrapers pierce the moon's crust. The rich live in the needles at the tips of the building. City population density grows as you go closer to the surface of the moon, and it thins out as you go to the belly of the moon, the hollows. So you know, Quicksilver built these monuments for Daryl place, but for the battle setup, you know there's these needles of star scrapers, and the rich are on the top. Population center density and bomb hollows in the middle. So when the bombs are dropping, and you know like the three different stages of where the battle's going on, and then Apollonius chasing you, and you know where the less population is where you're hiding the people. No, you don't get the exact. We're not in Phobos every day, but I think Pierce really sets up the scene really well to get you. Okay, I know where these locations are in the general scope. I got one, two, three locations. Okay, I got the they're in these different sectors. Sector one, two, three, four, five, six. It's again, it's not. It, I get you they, I, I'm it's going. Not, oh, you know, I didn't I'd, image the sectors like of any gotcha. complete difference. I'm with you that it's quick. Um, it's it's definitely different, unique enough. I don't think it's that as generic as you're saying. I'll disagree with that. But it I could, could totally me. get behind you with um, like I, I'll agree and disagree like the Jupiter and Mars I I get your point where Pierce I think he loads the description at the beginning like he'll explain the scene and the landscape really really well and go hey here's Jupiter here's the moon here here's Io here's Ganymede here's um what was that uh the thing that they needed to survive the guilt the, the Kuiper the, belt like, no not the Kuiper belt um that was described well as well um I'm forgetting it the the food source for Oh, the... Um, it started with a G, didn't it? Ganymede? Gan- no, not the, not Ganymede. Uh, anyways. The anyways. Garter. The, ga- the Garter. Yes, you got it. the Garter. But there, there's definitely a sense of... Uh, here's why... I, people question, why did I rate Red Rising and Golden Suns world building way higher than the sequel trilogy even? Or mm-hmm. at least some of them like this. I still think it's great. Something about Red Rising and what I give to book ones especially is the wonder they create in your head mm. and the curiosity where well, red rising set you in this new world this gritty world and you're questioning okay I, I won't get into all the world, world building Red Rising, but the start of, there's these miners that are mining for Helium-3 and the golds have been lying to them. And the guilt, they, they have this institute to train. Their, what's this society like? The, why do they eat food that way where they, they keep 20% of their meal? That's Why do they do that? There's all these questions and then I go in my head like, what this, what's the this society like? And he goes in the, the sequel trilogy to do, he does a great job describing a bunch of things in the ingredients of this world. But sometimes when that's revealed, it's like, okay, got it. And maybe when you see your Jupiter location, to, to go off view and to your Jupiter location, Mars location, it's not as different. It's not as crazy as, you know, describing Lothlorien versus the Shire, where they're very clear. Totally get that. And part of that is because I don't think Pierce is going for that world first. He's definitely not. He's going, world's a great feature of it. I'm not as harsh as you are. But I, I I can get that point of view. I can totally get your ratings that you didn't feel like it's super well. I I just the, freq- it, I frequently got variation.
1: confused on where I was of okay. like I I don't the like, the Phobos one. Mm. You're, I probably just missed and just forgot about the description in the beginning because when I'm seeing like in my head sector one, honestly I'm just kind of thinking planet and like oh sector one's over somewhere and then there's sector two. I, I just kind of thought of it as like surface level. Gotcha. I didn't know. I forgot completely about the spires and that Sector 1 is a spire, maybe. I had no idea. It was just... Okay, that's fair. Things that's fair. were happening and it was planet-like. That's fair. Um, some of that, too. Okay, then... And th- then Jupiter, same same way. Like, he does the description. of It's a gas plant, all this stuff. And I'm going... But then when it gets down to it, not much is... Like, I don't see how this one was really any different than Mercury. I didn't feel any different. There was no particular... They're supposed to be very different planets or like cultures. It just didn't feel
2: any. Different. Mercury. That was more dark age for sure. I don't think we got much more. We didn't get any mercury in this book. I know. I'm oh, just okay. comparing both of them. Like Mer- mercury to me. felt pho- okay, let's, let's not go into all that, but with the, what is it? The, the world movers, the, uh, the world, what does a shoot that what Orion used to kill everybody? Those, oh, uh, the, the world, uh, the storm gods, The storm gods. Yeah. And that, anyways that that was my favorite feature of dark age that was amazing sure. where with the best parts about the world building in this because i think each author when you're building a world you you sometimes have to focus on certain things so what sanderson does he focuses on the geography and the magic and the economy how that all intertwines and the the mm-hmm. plant plant life and fauna and that's where it sprouts from there You yes
1: well, we t- t- want to show oh. that difference oh yep Go ahead. sanderson very distinctly it's It's a Sanderson fantasy world. Mm -hmm. It's not, it is, it's completely its own thing. It requires complete investment. It's all Sanderson's thing. With Red Rise, I feel like you are leaning Mm -hmm. on the understanding of sci-fi books in general and just high tech things. And so you're, Pierce Brown's relying
2: on previous knowledge of how sci-fi things work. Mm-hmm. And then he adds his own elements. Oh, you to make it. a great point. Yeah, um, I'm with you on like some of the technology, the techno babble of, hey, here's this gadget. You don't, and even in Golden Sun, these, these books where it's just, hey, here's here's how you fight with this thing. This thing, these leechcraft, you latch on and you attack like you're a Roman going into the ship. Got it. That's how the battles are done. Mm-hmm. It's not anything crazy, but so Sanderson, that's what he focused on. You have your wheel time focuses on the history and how. Mm-hmm. Each cultures are interwoven, and the, the, I would say the history of the world and is the main focus. Yeah. Whereas you could go to different series. What do they focus on? But then you could say Wheel Time like doesn't focus on the plant life and fauna enough for me. I want no. I want more of that because Sanderson I like when he does. You know I like how his stuff talks more about how the geography is affected. Wheel Time doesn't. So you could have your preference. Where I think Red Rising does the fault of it. If you're more of a okay I want all these places to be super distinct. I think they're distinct enough for my liking, but totally get that. Mm-hmm. I, I visualize. The, um, the scattered planes way more than I visualize some of these scenes, for example. But what, re- what he does really well in the world building is, one, the, the political sphere. The landscape of how all the politics works together in uh, the rim, Atlantia's, Lysander's, uh, um, the Republic, and the, the, pol- the discourse and the people that live in the world is really impressive. Because all all of it works so well together where I know maybe the Red Rising world isn't distinct as you're saying, but the Red Rising characters, I could I could tell you who fits in that world instantly. Sure. That's what the I The society is very much well done. The society is so well done and to go off the backbone of the colors it's building off. So the the, the different colors and their effects and each book kind of builds upon that in small ways, so it's hard to give all the credit to Lightbringer. Sure. But there's these elements of where Pierce Brown doesn't focus on like the specific technologies because he uses those for plot elements. Mm. But his the culture and the the society itself is really well constructed and that makes it very believable. And that suspends my disbelief and gets lost in Red Rising World.
1: Can we both agree Ooh. that the best world building aspect of this book particularly mm. is Atlas? all the things that Atlas brings is the best aspect of the world building. All of his history of fighting at the rim, the setup of uh Atlantean how are these all these plans, it just leads to this ultimately you get far deeper insight in one how these golds function. I love that throughout the entire series it shows how the golds have manipulated cultures and history of the other colors to get them to do what they want. Yeah. And ultimately the golds are at the top and doing their own, they have their own history and it feels fairly like that's it. They are on, they manipulate each other, but just not, it's not that they're not manipulating their own history and culture to do it. Right. Atlas's plan is basically the golds doing it to golds. Mm-hmm. They're manipulating the history, the culture, and like giving a new, re- they're doing that whole manipulation that they did with the, um, obsidians but now to the golds mm. and i love that i love how now they're using their own tricks against themselves
2: right so great world building alice was great for the world building and a bit of the history and finding out a bit more about Salinas and was it mm-hmm. uh, a and the person start with an a At attila was it attila oh i might uh, a-, a-, a kyra a, yeah. a kyra and salinus and how the that wmd essentially that kills off the colors mm-hmm so a more plotting uh, Robert Jordan would have done this he would have had some subtle things that hinted to that in book one probably book two. (laughs) but where Pierce Brown again with that pantsing writing and the very plot and character focus and getting this through Mm -hmm. does make that shine more and so he kind of fills in the gaps as they come sure it feels like but that that is what I get out of the Red Rising world Um, I think we're at a pretty comfortable spot though and what we think about this yeah
1: about, a, I'm I'm surprised that you've we're kind of come about the same now. We're we're about the same level. I'm a little bit higher. Don't a little wait, bit. Don't, don't tell me I'm the
2: same as you. You're, you oh my you, god. You think
1: similar to me about red Rising and um, No, it's not true. <laughs> don't say that. I I love you, Pierce. But no, you can no. You think it's a normal good. <laughs> no. No.